we would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. Can we do that? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. God is so good. We want these to pray as long as they want to pray. That's what this altar is for. I want to uh, go into some thoughts this morning to share with you. I know that uh, we've got a lot going on this week. Uh, final week of school for some. Final, you know, graduations coming up this week for both our schools and uh, in the county. And we're thankful and we're proud of all of our graduates at the church and their accomplishments and thankful for what God has ahead of them in their future because they got great futures as long as God is first. Um, the key to that is putting God first, leaving God first in all things that we do. Now, if you are going along with me, I want you to turn to Acts 24 and just kind of hold that place. And we're going to go into those thoughts this morning. We're winding up our series in Acts. But uh, our anchor verses today is verses 24 and 25, which is, After some days Felix came uh, with uh, Drusilla, who was, a, was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in, G in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away from my from the present, for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And uh, we're going to kind of lead into some history here, but these are going to be the verses we kind of anchor on. Today we're continuing, as I said, through the book of Acts. A few weeks ago, we looked at a story of Paul's returning to Jerusalem. And I've shared that he felt compelled to go to Jerusalem, even though he was warned, in Jerusalem, you will be imprisoned. In Jerusalem, you're going to, you're going to face some difficult things and and Paul knew uh, what was coming before he got there, but he went anyway because he was compelled to share the gospel with his, with his countrymen, with his, uh, his own people. He had shared the gospel now for several years with the Gentile people, also the Jewish people, but mainly the Gentile people. And now he is coming full circle and he is returning. Uh, he's returned to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he finds himself once again surrounded by riots, surrounded by by trouble, surrounded by uh, false accusers, and all of this is going along the lines. Now, uh, of, of his ultimately uh, being sent to Rome, and that's where we're headed. In the next few weeks, we will end up in Rome, uh, and that's where Paul, Paul, Paul's journey would take him. But now, in Jerusalem, he's facing some trouble. So if I had to put a, a title on this message this morning, it would just simply be the danger of good intentions, the danger of good intentions. And so I want you to, to kind of uh, go with me through this. We're going to summarize a few things, and then we'll get into our thoughts. Now, um, this was Paul's goal, by the way, when he got to return to Jerusalem. Uh, it was the goal of his life. He wanted to go there to share the gospel with his own people. But when he got there, uh, he was misjudged, falsely accused, and arrested. 
Paul tries to take advantage of, of this opportunity to share his testimony, but they cut him off. It was, uh, it was his best chance to share the gospel with them, and he took it and they refused to listen. There are many lessons that we can learn from this, and today we're going to focus on a, a few of them. The first is that sometimes the best way we can share the gospel with someone is to tell them what God is doing in our own lives. Um, I am thankful for what God does in Paul's life. I'm thankful for what God God did in the disciples' lives and the men and women in the book of Acts. But if you want to be effective in this world, you have to develop and be able to share your story with this world. In other words, people are thankful for what God did in people's lives 2,000 years ago. We gain encouragement from it. We gain faith from it. But the story of the gospel did not end with the, the closing of the Bible. It, be, it, be, it, it continues with every soul that has been saved. And so all of us are a walking, breathing New Testament to somebody around us. We have to testify, amen, of the goodness of the Lord in our lives. God needs to, uh, this world needs to know what God is doing for the present world, amen, as well as what he did in the past. We anchor our faith in those stories, but God has your story and you need to tell your story to a lost and dying world. It will be a lot more effective. It's, I, I'm thankful for, for, for the study of the word, but guess what? When it boils down to to it, people ask me, well, what has Jesus done for you? What has happened in your life? What, what transformation took place in your heart? And you say, well, I've never really developed that. I want to challenge you to develop your testimony, to develop what, you know, write it down. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's a tool in evangelism uh, of, of, of that, that is used on sharing your testimony, which simply means you, you write down in detail your story. And, and, you, and look, you may never share your entire story with someone, but you, uh, you need to know it yourself. A lot of people don't even know what God did for them because they haven't sat down and wrote their story. Write your story and then condense your story to about a two-minute testimony. In other words, you say, I can't say everything God has done for me in two minutes. What if all you had was two minutes? You need to condense it down where you can share the story of Jesus. I use this illustration. You're on your 10-minute break at work. You, you read your Bible. That's what your time with God, and you've done that faithfully for years. There's someone that comes in there at the same time as you, and they, they kind of keep their distance because you're the plague. You've got a Bible there. They're not a believer. And then one day, casually, they look at you with about two minutes to go before break is up and says, why do you serve Jesus? Why do you believe in Jesus? What are you going to say in that two minutes? Paul had his testimony down. As a matter of fact, if you read, the, the, as he recounts his testimony, it gets shorter and shorter and shorter as he gets to, to the point where he realizes, I'm not going to have a lot of time with people before something happens. And the something with him was usually a riot. Okay, usually they were beating him or they were popping him in the mouth. They were trying to silence him. This is what happened when he stood before the Sanhedrin and he tries his best to tell them about Jesus and what Jesus has done in his life and they silence him. And so I know at this point in his, his walk, he's got to be a little bit frustrated. They not only silence him, but they silence him, but they arrest him. So the first and best way to share the gospel is, is our personal testimony. Next, even if we share, it doesn't matter 
mean that, we, that they will listen. We can't make people listen. We just have to take the opportunities that God gives us and trust in his word and trust that the word will not return void. There's a lot of times that we share the gospel and people seem to not want to hear it or they reject it. But what we have to have faith in is that we have planted seeds that will eventually come to fruition down the road. And, and I have seen that happen so many, many times. And as a matter of fact, I can get an amen from the back row, I know, because Barbara was one of those times that where friendship was, was, was sprouted, and it was not for 10 plus years until the fruition of what took place there began to blossom and grow and, and harvest took place. And I am so thankful for that today. So don't despise those times when you're cut off. Don't despise those times and think, well, those heathens just don't deserve the truth. Okay. No, instead realize that you have planted seed in their life, then you've got to give God time to do the work. Amen? Because Paul would later write as he perfects his, his testimony and how to present the gospel, he would later on write in, in, in one of his letters, some water, some plant, but God gives the increase. God has called some of us and all we'll ever do is plant. All we'll ever do is plant. And then some, all they'll ever do is water. And then some, they will harvest. They will see souls come to the Lord. You say, I want to be, a, I want to be one that harvests. One cannot harvest without one planting seed. We've got to have those who do all those. And then some will be privileged to see all of those things in their life and ministry. So don't despise when you share. And if it's rejected, trust that God is working. Finally, in life, this is the third thing I want us to kind of focus on. We will face difficulties. Anybody face difficulties in life? If you haven't, write a book. You'll be a millionaire. Amen. Uh, it, it, we're going to face troubles. God didn't promise us life without it. But what he did promise, and what he does promise us, is the same thing that he did for Paul. That no matter what we go through, no matter what the trials, no matter what the difficulties, no matter what we face, he will be with us. Whatever life throws at us, he'll stick it out with us till the end. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for a God that sticks with me. Amen? He's been by my side when no one else would be by my side. He's been for me when it felt like the whole world was against me. Amen? He'll be with us. He promised Paul that and he'll do that for you. The next day, the Roman soldiers bring Paul back to the Sanhedrin. And we, this is where uh, uh, chapter 24 kind of picks up. And, and then he is placed on trial. Paul has a night to prepare, so he takes the time to ready his defense. And he thinks that he will, again, uh, get, be given a chance to share the gospel. But they don't listen to him. But instead, a riot and chaos ensues. And all around him, his his character is questioned. And so it didn't go the way he planned. He is able to show grace under fire. Aren't you thankful for that? How many of you, God's given you grace when you really wanted to just, mm, God just said, hey, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you grace to shut your mouth. Amen. Do you know that is a ministry in itself, learning how to not say something? Amen. Those who are quick-natured, those who have a quick tongue, that you will appreciate that more than any, that you are easy. You're like, man, because once it's out there, you don't get it back. I mean, you can test Every husband in the place knows that. Once you say, sometimes it's like, man, this is so good, and i got to say this, and I hear the Holy Spirit not whispering, screaming, that's not a hill worth dying on. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> grace under fire. Aren't you thankful God gives us that grace? In other words, he gave Paul the grace. Despite the early mistakes, Paul gives uh, a show and the discipline of humility to apologize and to give a proper response. In a situation that could have resulted in his death, Paul instead is able to survive and go uh, to a new venue. In other words, he's saying, okay, they're not going to listen, and if I persist, it's going to cost me my life, and God's not through with me yet. This was not out of fear because Paul is the guy that said, hey, you kill me, I go to be with Jesus, and that's far better than being here. But if I remain, then I'm going to keep preaching the truth. He knew God had a destiny. By the way, everybody in this room, God does have a destiny and a plan for you, but you know what you can do? You can, you can reject that plan. You don't, he's not going to force you to do it. He's not going to manipulate you into doing it. He wants your free will. And Paul could have manipulated the plan of God. He could have said, I'm going to do it my way. And and ended up dead before he ever testified before Caesar. And God would look at him and, and, and on judgment day he would say, Lord, you told me I'd stand before Caesar. He said, yeah, but I also told you to shut your mouth in front of the Sanhedrin. Come on. So we, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit is the lesson there. Amen. And so Paul instead survives and goes on to a brand, brand new venue. Then even though he has, de, has a desire to preach in Jerusalem, he is willing to follow God. When God tells him that, he's got, that his plan was not for him to preach in Jerusalem as much as it was to use Jerusalem to get him to Rome. Amen. By the way, one does just not walk in and have an audience with Caesar just because they want one. You've got to have a reason to see Caesar. And Paul's reason of preaching Jesus wasn't good enough. In, in other words, he had to go testify as a prisoner. And so God says, you know what? If you're going to testify before Caesar, I have to get you an audience with Caesar. And in order to get you an audience with Caesar, I'm going to let you go to Jerusalem. And you're going to preach in Jerusalem. And it's going to get you in trouble in Jerusalem. And you're going to be arrested. And they're going to turn you over to the Romans. And eventually, you're going to cry out that you want to see, as a Roman citizen, he had the right to appeal to see Caesar himself. And he does. And because of that, it sends things in motion that will fulfill his calling. Now... When God tells you to do something, realize that he may be using that thing to get you to the real thing he has in plan, planned for you. Even though he has, been, has a desire to preach in Jerusalem, God's ultimate plan was for him to testify before the ruler of the known world, Caesar himself. Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the, weighs the, the spirit. In other words, we, we can convince ourselves that, that we're, we have pure intentions doing certain things. We we, we have the ability to, to convince ourselves that, hey, this is God. God's got to be for this because if I get this, this will make me happy. If, if this happens, then I'll be, uh, you know what, I'll have joy like the Bible says to have joy. And we can convince ourselves to, to, that we're in the right when we're really in the wrong. So the wisest man on earth wrote what? He says that the, there's a way that man looks at and he, he says, this is right in my eyes. And God says, I'm going to weigh that out in the spirit. I'm going to look and see what your intentions are, uh, you know, what you really mean to do. Uh, and so in other words, I remember when I was a kid, we, we were given a little bit of money because I didn't have a job then. You know, I just, I just lived at the house, you know, enjoying cartoons and, and uh, cereal at that time. I, that was my favorite thing. And I would always get a bowl of cereal and watch cartoons. Well, we went Christmas shopping, so I had no money. So Dad gave us each a little bit of money to buy our siblings a Christmas present. And so I got to doing the math, and I figured, hey, if I, if I don't, you know, use the full measure of the money, then I'll have a little bit left over to help fill out a little bit. 
And so, you know, I, I had good intentions, and then my dad weighed my spirit and said, that's stingy, that's greedy, you're being, that wasn't your money in the first place, and, and I was trying to get, you, you know, let you bless, and so eventually, guess what, we spent all the money, when, and we did it on our siblings, even though uh, I didn't like my, uh, my middle sister that much at that time, so I bought her metric cards for her Christmas present. Wasn't that a blessing? So, metric cards, so, anyhow. Hey, I was a blessing. Don't. But that seemed good to me. How many of us have seen some things that seemed good to us? Paul, Paul said, I, you know what, it's, it's a good thing for me to preach in Jerusalem. These are, these are, the, these are my people. These are, these are the people of God. They were the chosen people of God. They need to hear that Jesus is real because, you know, surely I'm the one to tell them. And all along God said, no, you're not really the one to tell them. They'll not listen to you. You're called to go to the Gentile people. How many times have, us, have we ventured out and we wanted to rubber stamp God's approval on things we wanted? And then all of a sudden it goes the opposite on us and we're, we, re, we have a world of regret. We live in a world, and I want you to hear this statement, we live in a world where we have placed a higher premium on sincerity than on the truth. In other words, there, there, we, we have a higher value of, 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 of sincerity than we do truth. In other words, well, I know they're wrong, but they were genuinely sincere. And somehow we have tried to make that okay, but it doesn't measure up to the Word of God. In other words, I, I, I'm sincere in what I'm doing, and since I'm truly sincere, God is going to be okay with this. No, God is not. If it goes against His Word, if it goes against the truth. In other words, we all can have good intentions, amen, that end up getting us in trouble, amen? We, so again, the attitude of the world is that our intentions are right. In other words, at least we had the right motive, at least we meant well. I mean, how many times have we said that about somebody? Oh, well, they meant well. What are we saying? They had good intentions. But good intentions doesn't always mean, <laughs> sincerity does not always mean that it's okay. If we have good motives, then our actions, no matter how awful, are justified. But the end never justifies the means. Have you ever heard that statement? Do you realize it has biblical roots? That, that we can't say just because, the, you know, the outcome may be good, all right? I, you may want a million dollars, but if you rob an armored car, the outcome may, you know, you might get the million, but then you might spend a lot of time thinking about it in, in, in a very dark, cold place. Amen. Our intentions, our intentions. Well, I meant to do that and give it to the poor. That's what I was going to do. I don't think that would fly with a judge. Right, in all, <laughs> right is always right, even if everyone is against it. And wrong is always wrong, even if everyone's for it. We live in a world where if we think a majority are for something, even if it's wrong, then it must be right. I'm telling you, today is a world that has very twisted views. Good intentions may become a substitute for our actions. I meant to clean my room. How many parents have heard that? I meant to clean it. I meant. I really had good intentions. I meant to stop for gas, and you're sitting on the side of the road. Okay? Now, me and Tina have an ongoing thing, and so far, I'm, I'm winning. Okay? And what is this? I will drive a car, and I will drive a car till it is sucking fumes. Now, I will do that. And, and as of yet, knock on wood, I'll have to do that. I have, I have yet to run out of gas in a vehicle. 
So Tina, though, was trained by her father that if one gets to a quarter of a tank, you go fill up. Okay? You can't trust the lights. You can't trust the gauges. you got to do that. And that is very wise, by the way. But me, I'm a risk taker. <laughs> I like to live on the edge. <laughs> and so Tina just, every time, she'll start hollering, we need gas. And now, you know, we have newer vehicles that actually tell you you've got X amount of miles. Well, I wait till mine is like screaming, better stop now. I don't know if they got that feature, but they need it for me. Because I have drove mine around with it on zero miles. But Tina will be like, we need to stop and get gas. And I'm like, oh, we got plenty. Oh, I got enough to get here. I got enough to get there. You know, I think with the higher gas prices, I'm swaying her a little bit, though. Amen. Anybody else feel like a gun points at you every time you fill up the tank? Um, yeah. I think we spent about $200 this week on gas. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, you know, I like to take those chances. I, I meant to get gas, but guess what? She tells me all the time. She says, one of these days, one of these days you're going to run out of gas. And I'm like, yeah, and you're going to be at work and never know it. <laughs> if y'all tell, hmm. I meant to pick up the birthday cake. I, I meant to call you. I was running late. I meant to show up for work today. <laughs> we all have good intentions, but those intentions can, 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 can get us into trouble. How many of you ever heard this statement? Hell is paved with good intentions. You ever heard that? Anybody know who said it? Actually, the 18th, an 18th century writer named James Boswell said it. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Actions must be taken and followed through in order for intentions to become a reality. Boswell's quote is a summary of, the human, of human nature not to follow through with what is right. We mean to do what's right. We intend to do what's right. I meant to come to church. I meant to, you know, I meant to read my Bible. I meant to pray more. I meant to find a lifestyle of worship. I meant, I, meant, I intended, I intended, but we don't do those things. James says, so whatever, uh, whatever knows the right uh, thing to do and falls short of it, it is sin. For him that knows to do good and does it not, it is sin. So when I know what's right and I don't do what's right, even though I have intentions to do what's right, if I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. And that means I need to listen to what the Lord is saying. You say, why are we going through all this? Because Paul is preaching to this leader. His name is Felix and his wife. And Felix says, "You're, you know what? I'm under conviction with what you're saying I don't really want to hear it so you go out of my presence and I'll call you back he was he was he was battling conviction in his life I'm going to tell you right now if we're not careful we will push God off and we will say I'll I'll get to it God eventually I'll do it God eventually I'll fulfill my calling eventually I'll step out in faith and I'll trust you with this eventually God I'll get my life right with you oh God help us there's a lot of people that say that every day eventually I'll make things right eventually I'll stop partying eventually I'll stop doing this eventually I'll stop uh, uh, sleeping around eventually I'll stop drinking eventually I will treat my family better I'll be the husband or the mother or the father I'm supposed to be I'll get to it God and we go through life and we look back in the rearview mirror and we never got to it if we're not careful, we'll be like Felix and we'll dismiss the truth out of our life and say, I'll summon you later when I have time to think about these things. 
I'll summon you later when I'm through living my life the way I want to. Then I'll do things your way, God. But I want you to know, today is the day of salvation, the Bible would declare to us. This is the moment of accountability. This is the time the Holy Spirit, God help me preach this this morning, is calling to His church. Repent, because revival needs to come. And it cannot come without the church being where it's supposed to be. Cannot come. Then we stand before the Lord. We tell Him what we did good to try to make up for what we had intentions to do. So many will stand before Him and say, Lord, Lord, did I not? And He will say, I don't know you. Acts 25 says that Felix reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and coming judgment. And then it says Felix was alarmed. Another word for that is convicted. He felt conviction in his life. But listen to his words. Go away for the present, for this time. And when I get an opportunity, I will summon you. I wonder one day when Felix stood before God, if he didn't make it right, he heard the judge in authority say the same thing for him. Go away. I wonder if he hears those words in his ears. You say, well, that was thousands of years ago, but eternity is forever. I wonder for those who have intentions to do the right thing, if hell, you know, I, when I was a kid, I thought about the burning part. And I think that's awful, yes. I think it's torment, yes. I don't, I'm not belittling that. But I also think you're haunted by your intentions. I think those who go to hell will hear their own intentions over and over again. This Sunday, I was going to go to church. I was going to go to church that Sunday. You know what? That Sunday, I went to church, and, and, and the altar call was given. I, if I hadn't had so much going on that I had to get to, I would have went forward. If my kids didn't have a ball game, I, I would have went forward. If, I, if we didn't have to get out the door so fast, I would have worshipped God. You say, Pastor, that's heavy. It needs to be. Because there's a world that is standing before the Lord. Got news about someone who's sat in this congregation, went, went to meet Jesus, stood before the Lord last night. You say, well, maybe he made it, maybe he did I don't know. I'm not God, and I'm not putting him in one place or the other. I'm going to let God be the judge. How about that? But regardless, it made eternity very real for me this morning. Good intentions forget to pull or, or forget to put. In other words, we, 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 we get in trouble 
because we forget to have a deadline. We're going to do this. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 46, and I'm not reading all these today, but the, is, is all about good intentions. That whole chapter is about people who meant to do and never did. They meant to get right and they never got right. They meant to straighten up and they never straightened up. But the very first part of this, and this is the words of Jesus, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. For, the, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with, uh, with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they, they, uh, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, he is, he, he is, uh, Here is the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all of those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and said, Since there, there was not enough, uh, not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealer and buy some for yourself. And while they were away buying oil, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went on to the marriage feast. And the ones that were, that were not were shut out at the door. Afterwards, the other virgins came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. In other words, Jesus is being very, very direct here that you need to be prepared for his coming. Uh, and again, I'm not trying to play the emotional card, but out of nowhere, Abby's leaving school. She thinks everything's fine. And then, boom, life changes in a second. She could have stood before the Lord. Guess what? That's each and every one of us in this room today. Day. We are a breath away. We are a heartbeat away. But yet we act as if we have forever. I'm telling you, the Lord is coming soon. And you may say, I don't know when the trumpet will sound. But I know life does not last forever. So when everyone leaves this world, when you breathe your last breath, He has come for you. Are you ready? Are you like the foolish ones? Who thought, I have enough time. I have enough in my lamp. I have enough spiritual credit to get me by in other words i have enough spiritual things in my life to get access when the bridegroom comes i've got news for you uh, you better get all you got and then get a little extra and that's what the wise people do in other words they do not take for granted that just because i prayed a prayer when i was eight years old or 12 years old or 10 years old or however old you were and said jesus come into my heart that all is well we need to be as close to god as we possibly can be because no man knows the hour you may not have signed up for this on this Sunday morning but you got it because it's what God has given me we need to be ready because nobody knows the hour that the Lord may call you Nobody knows the hour, and I'm going to ask you right now if you were to close your eyes. Let's just do that. I mean, if everyone will, just close your eyes for a second. Now I want you to open them. You're standing before Jesus. You're no longer at Harvest Worship Center, but you're standing before the majesty of heaven. What reason will you give him that you have access to him? What reason can I give that I can go into heaven today? What reasons can he give to let me in? You stand before him. You say, that's a reality I don't want to face. You better face it because no man knows. 
Don't be like Saul in 1 Samuel 13. He was told to go to a certain place at a certain time and to offer the sacrifice at that certain time, and he did it at his own convenience. I'll get there when I get there. I'll do it when I do it. Hey, a sacrifice is a sacrifice. I want you to think about this. What if the Lord had come last night and we all showed up this morning? Because I think that's going to happen in some places. I think some people are going to show up to church. Oh, God, let your power and your conviction flow in this place today. Are you ready to meet him? The truth of the matter is, We can have good plans, godly motives, and a great commitment in our mind. But those things must translate into action. The Lord is here. But you don't know what I've done, doesn't matter. It can be forgiven in just a moment. For all you know, Pastor, I'm nursing a... Uh, a, a hangover from what I did last night doesn't matter. In a moment, God can sober your life. But games with God. You see, the problem is, we, I've heard that statement all my life, quit playing games with God, and I found out he's not playing, Kerry. I'm the one playing the game all by myself because God says when you're done with whatever you're doing, I'm here. As a matter of fact, Revelation says he stands at the door and knocks. But he's not going to kick the door in. You've got to willingly open it and invite him in. So what am I offering you today? Straight up the gospel. Don't be like Felix who turned and said another time. Another time. I'm convicted, but another time. I'm moved, but another time. Your Jesus is not convenient for me. Why? Because he's not politically correct. That, if you read the story in Acts 24, you'll find out that's exactly what it was. He was not politically correct. He would not help Felix's politics. The same reason that Pilate offered Jesus up and the same reason Felix eventually would offer up Paul. You know, he kept Paul two years. Questioned him for two years about the gospel. But there is no record of his conversion. Instead, the last thing we hear about him is that he kept him in prison to please the Jews his political career. Will you stand? Bottom line is you need Jesus. And you may have walked in here not thinking you needed him, but you need him. You may have walked in here thinking you had him, but all you had is good intentions. 
Good intentions is like tipping God instead of tithing. <laughs> I'm going to give you a tip. I need my pray, praying people praying right now because I feel like God is calling to somebody. God's dealing with somebody's heart in this room. As a matter of fact, He's dealing with several hearts in this room. And the Lord would want me to say one thing to you. He loves you. Oh my goodness, He loves you. But your good intentions... It's not enough to settle the debt of sin. Only a surrendered life to Jesus. And guess what? He doesn't call it a dead sacrifice, and I think that's the issue with most Christians today. We think that that surrendered life is a once and done. Instead of listening to the Bible where it says, I die daily. <laughs> Every day I surrender, is what Paul would say. Every day I surrender my life to Him. I think we, we fail in thinking God's impressed by church attendance. He's not. He's not impressed with you doing what you're supposed to do. Matter of fact, it's like my kids cleaning their rooms. Am I supposed to do a cartwheel because they did what they were supposed to do? A surrendered life means that I belong to Him. And He said what? My life must be a living sacrifice. Which means if it's a living sacrifice, that sacrifice has the choice to walk away. I had a college professor that said it this way. The problem with living sacrifices are they tend to crawl off the altar. You kill a lamb and lay it on the altar, that lamb has no choice, Tina. It's there. It's dead. But a living sacrifice has to willingly be on the altar every single day of their lives. And Paul said this is the reasonable thing. <laughs> this is just makes sense is what he said. In light of what Jesus did for you, and did for me, he said, it makes sense. It's a reasonable argument to say, present yourself, all of yourself, to him. A living sacrifice. Made holy through the blood of Jesus. Amen? Redeemed, sanctified by the blood of Jesus. Not by my good intentions. This morning... Just for a moment, I want us to bow our heads. You're standing before Jesus. So I don't want to think that way. Think that way. You're standing before Jesus. What do you have to offer? If you need Him this morning, whether it's to be saved 
or whether to say, you know what, enough with the games. You may be saved, but you're like, you know what, enough with the games. I'm ready to get serious about my walk with him. Then I want you to make your way down here. You say, that's, I, I don't want to be embarrassed. There ain't nobody in this room going to be in, that's, that's going to look at you in a negative light. But there's somebody in this room, and I know God's dealing with your heart, and you're saying, I've had good intentions. I, I, I meant to do this. I meant to, I meant, and you can't. You haven't. Today is the day of salvation. If you want Jesus in your life, I want you to make your way here. That's just simple. And we'll pray with you. I don't want to do it by myself. Then you look at somebody beside you and say, come with me. I need to get some things straight with the Lord. I need to get my life back in line with Him. I need to discover that it is not about my intentions. It is about relationship with Him. I need to learn what it means to, to love Him and allow myself, Lord, to, to, to receive His love. If that's you, I want you to come. I know somebody in this room needs Jesus this morning. And if you are sitting there feeling like I am talking just to you, that is not me. That is the Holy Spirit calling to you, saying, please, let's get this right. Let's get this right so that if something happens and you open your eyes in eternity today, you can say, you know what? I didn't do like Felix. I didn't just say another time. I said, right now's my time. Right now's my moment. Right now's my opportunity. If that's you, I want you to come right now. Young or old, I want you to come right now. If you need to do kind of a gut check moment with the Spirit and say, you know what, I need to check my life, then now's the time. Take somebody by the hand. Say, I'm ready to get right. I'm ready to get my life in line with Jesus. I'm ready to, to find this relationship. If that's you, then I want you to make that effort right now. I know there's pressure in the room. I know there's conviction in the room. But I know God is dealing with your heart. I know God is trying to do some things in you. Oh, there's some others. Come on, there's some others. Oh, today is the day of salvation. Today, today, not tomorrow. Tomorrow is that procrastination that will get us in trouble. Today is your day. Today is your moment. Today is your hour. There's some others. I'm telling you, there's some others. There's some of us, we've, we've been saved, quote, for years, but our lives have went totally opposite of living for Him. Today, God is calling to you. I'm asking God to break up some, some hard hearts in this room, some hard thinkers in this room that have shut things out. Today is your day of salvation. Today. Amen. I'll pray with anybody that's ready to pray. We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you would like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's Worship is during our 11 a.m. service. If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.